Take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to take a look at the Tower of Babel. We kind of put it in the bulletin there, what are you babbling about? What are you babbling about? We live in a society where there's lots of babble going on, right? But there's very, very little, very, very little substance to the babble. And um, now, <clears throat> I want you to look at this passage of Scripture, but before we do, I, I, I want you to go back to chapter, hopefully it's on the same page. But I want you to go back to chapter 9, verse 18, where it says, Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark... Oh, you do have to turn the page. Sorry about that. I don't have to on mine. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And what does it say? Everybody together. From these, the whole earth was populated. And then we have a little short account of Noah getting into trouble after the, the flood, proving that he's still a sinner, needs to be saved by grace. And then after we have that, the Bible tells us in verse 28 that Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. That's a long time to live. People before the flood lived about the same time period. Obviously, huge age, ages. But after the flood, of course, it gets down to a more, um, well, 120 years, and then, then, then down to what the psalmist says, if you, if you live beyond 70, uh, feel the grace of God and all of that. Now look at verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Now, this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. And you know what happens here if you know anything about the fact that God gives us solid information on history, which includes genealogies, you'll know that what we have here in chapter 10 is we have a record of some of the sons, the important ones, the highlights, the ones that stand out, the sons of Japheth in verse 2. Do you see that? The sons of Japheth were. And then in verse 6, we have the highlights of the family of the sons of Ham. All right? And then third, we have in verse 21, the, chil the children were also born to Shem. And we have the sons listed there. And I was very tempted to say, this is news that we can use. When I was a kid, we used to get U.S. News and World Report. And there was only one page in that whole thing I liked to read. And it was the yellow page that said, news you can use. Because I wanted to be able to take the information that was on that page and to share it with others. And so I was tempted to go through all of this and say, you know what, we, we, we need to work our way through all of these names. And I thought, nope, even though this is news you can use, because we all need to know the genealogies. 
I can't tell you, and I won't get into the, the ways that critics will come to you and try to get you to, to, to accept the possibility that God's Word is not reliable because they're assuming you don't know what you need to know and uh, you'll be easily fooled. So I was tempted to do that, but let me just do this for you, okay? I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to ask you, who is your great, 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 great plus grandfather? Is it Shem? Is it Ham? Or is it Japheth? Now, I won't ask for hands, but how many know who your great, 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 great plus grandfather is? If you, if you, if you, I won't ask for hands. How, how am I going to find out, though, if I don't? How, how many know who your great, 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 great grandfather is? Ah, okay. Well, that's news you can use. I mean, if you go to Ancestry.com, you're going to try to find out as much information. But I will tell you, all of us can claim either one of these three, Shem, Ham, or Japheth. And one of the best ways and easiest ways for me to get you on the right track is to not go through all of the nations that come from these three families, because then you'll say, well, my nationality is such and such, so it must have been so and so. But let me just give you generally what the Bible says as to where they located, and then you'll be able to tell me. The sons of Japheth were, and then we have a list of those sons for a couple of generations, and then look at verse 5 because it tells us where these people settled. The Bible says that they settled the coastland, they were the coastland peoples of the Gentiles. Do you see that? They were the coastland people of the Gentiles. Now, what area of the world would that be? Mediterranean Sea. Then you have the sons of Ham in verse 6, and you have listed several, a couple of generations of the sons of Ham. And then kind of in the middle of the story, you have this guy that's mentioned in verse 8 that we cannot pass over because the geographical area that they cover involves this guy. His name is Nimrod. And he began to be a mighty one, in verse 8, on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Everybody referred to this mighty guy, just like they did refer to the mighty people before the flood. And the beginning of his kingdom was what? Babel, Erech, Akkad. Kalna in the what? Land of Shinar. Now, where's the land of Shinar? Where's that? That's east. That's east of the Holy Land. That's over in, uh, that's over in the territory of Iraq today. All right? So that's where Ham's descendants migrated to. Then you have... The children of Shem. 
Verse 21 says, The children were born also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber. And it's listed for two or three generations here. And then the Bible says in verse 30 that their dwelling place was from Mesha, as you go towards Sephar, the mountain of the east. Now, <clears throat> that's also in the Eastern Territory. But I got to tell you something that's very important for you to understand, and that is this that the people of Shem gives to us the genealogy that takes us all the way to Abraham and the Jewish people who settled, migrated from the east to the west and then into Africa. And so let me ask you, what probably is your great, 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 great plus grandfather? Is it Shem? Is it Ham? Or is it Japheth? How many thinks it's Japheth? And why do you think that? Because they settled in Europe. And so most European countries. Ham, of course, includes Africa and the Middle East. And then, uh, and then you also have the East with Shem and then moving back into the territory of uh, Israel for the Jewish people. Now, that's, that's news you can use, right? So when someone says to you, how far back can you go? You can say, I go kill her back to Noah's day. And my great-great-great-great-grandfather was probably Japheth. Now, I want you to notice something else about this passage of Scripture that's critical for you and I to understand. Because when you look at the world during the, this period of time, you'll notice that the world is divided into families. It's divided into lands. We already looked at that. And it's divided into nations. I want you to see this. So looking at Japheth, information for the fact that they settled in the coastlands in Europe, they are the people of the Gentiles. By the way, that means you're a Gentile probably, right? All right. Notice what it says in verse 5. They were separated into their lands, everyone, according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. So you have languages, different languages at this time. You have families then that are living in lands and these lands make up nations. So if you will look through all of these sons, you will discover that several times the sons of Ham, for instance, in verse 20, are arranged according to their families, according to their languages, and in their lands and in their nations. And you'll discover the same thing as far as Shem is concerned in verse 31, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, and according to their nations. So you have a situation where the world is divided up into ethnic groups and nations. This is where a skeptic might come to you and say, well, <laughs> you know, Tower of Babel occurs in chapter 11 where the Bible tells us a totally different story. 
But the stupidity of that kind of an argument is kind of like the guy who came up to the Christian and said, uh, doesn't the Bible say the ark was like 450 feet long? Doesn't the Bible say the ark was about 75 feet wide? Doesn't the Bible say the ark was about three stories high? And he gets a positive response every time from the Christian. And then the skeptic says, aha! Then how could the priest carry the ark across the Jordan River? I mean, that's about how stupid that kind of a comment can be. Because here's what you have, and it doesn't, you know, we all grew up in this country learning English and learning how languages work. So here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the nation is divided among, na- the, 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 the world is divided among nations, and we can trace these nations. And then God wants us to tell us how it happened. And so in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Now let me explain to you how all of this happened. Now I want you to keep in mind Nimrod. I want you to keep in mind the fact that he was from the plain of Shinar. And I want you to keep in mind that he, um, the plain of Shinar is over where Babylon is today. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech. So God says, I'm going to tell you now how I divided the whole earth. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east. Who's they? Well, you'll have to read down through the passage of Scripture till you get to verse 5 because you don't get the, the, the people identified until verse 5 where the Bible says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of what? The sons of men had built. Now, we've already been through a very difficult passage of Scripture around the time of Noah, where the Bible says that the sons of God were intermingling with the daughters of men. Right? You're familiar with that passage of Scripture, and it probably stands out in your mind because there are different interpretations of that passage of Scripture. And one interpretation is that this is the dark side of humanity. This is the dark side where angels are cohabitating with the sons of God or cohabitating with the daughters of men. And you, you, have, uh, you have offspring that contribute to the need for the flood. How many of you are all familiar with that, right? We come through that. You're all familiar with that. Why on earth we would refer (laughs) uh, to angels, fallen angels in that regard that way is beyond me. I just don't understand that. It doesn't make any sense to me. But what makes a lot of sense to me is that there's a great play on words with the sons of God and the daughters of men. Sons of God are believers and the daughters of men would be worldly unbelievers. And so when you come to this passage of Scripture and you realize that we're dealing, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built, what are we looking at? Are we looking at lots of people who are trusting the Lord, who love the Lord? No. So there are a lot of people who moved into the area of Babylon who they would be called the sons of men. They journeyed from the east and they found a plain in the land of Shinar And they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, verse 3, 
Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they want good, solid bricks, ones that are baked thoroughly, so that they can use them to build a high tower. And they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. And so this is their plan. They're going to build a tower into the heavens. Now, when I was a kid and I used to read this passage of Scripture, I used to say to myself, wow, they're trying to get up into heaven to find God. Did you ever do that? Did you, as a kid, and you know, as a kid, you do this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? You don't understand everything there is about God's Word, and, and there's certain things. They made a tower into heaven, so I'm thinking they're trying to reach God. They're trying to reach God. Nothing of the sort. Nothing of the sort. I took my, I took my uh, almanac out, um, and I looked at the t- world's 100 tallest buildings. And I wanted to see how many references are the word of these buildings to famous people, people who want to make a name for themselves. Why do we build tall buildings? We build them out of necessity. We build them for convenience. We build them for economic reasons. But one is, what is one of the biggest reasons why we build tall buildings? To make a name for ourselves. To make a name for ourselves. If they were building a tower into heaven, it wasn't to bring down the God of heaven or to get in touch with him. It was to, Babel means the, the place of gods, the gods, the, the false gods. It would have been for pagan, pagan reasons. But the fact of the matter is there's no spiritual bone in their bodies here because they give to us the reason why they did this. And the Bible says that the Bible says that they built a city whose tower is, is top, top of it is in the heavens because we want to what? Make a name for ourselves. We want the fame, we want the fortune, we want the security. We don't want to be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, God had already told Adam and Eve to fill the earth. God told Noah and the three sons, do the same thing, replenish the earth. When we were a young nation... We had to try to get people living on the East Coast. I don't know if I'd ever done this or not. I don't know if you'd gotten me in a covered wagon and headed me out west. As far as after the Revolutionary War, as far as our family got was western Pennsylvania. But the government gave us, gave the, all, the, all, the, uh, all those who were in, in the Revolutionary War some land. And to get people to move out west, where there's all kinds of incentives, you see. We had the Oklahoma Sooners, right? You had uh, where the government said, okay, everybody line up. We're going to open up the, the territory of Oklahoma, and you can go and pick your land. But it was Horace Greeley, I believe, that newspaper guy, wasn't it, who said, go west, young man, go west. But they're resisting it. They're saying, no, we don't want to do that. We're, we're not going to obey the Lord in doing that. We're going to huddle together. We're going to create for ourselves a nation and we're going to then be as secure as we possibly can, making a name for ourselves so that we can have fame and fortune. Now, 
God also knows what's going on. The Bible says that God said the Lord came down to see the city, verse 5, and the tower which the sons of men built. And he has his own explanation as to what they were doing. They're pretty clear we want to make a name for ourselves, but notice what God actually says in this divine counsel that he has with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, verse 6. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. They're going to get bigger than their britches. They're going to believe they can do anything. In their pride and in their pretense, they're going to be be developing the idea that there is not we are the masters of our own destiny and there's nothing that can stop us from doing what we want isn't that what god says i'm not twisting scripture when i say that that's what god says indeed the people are one and they have one language and this is what they begin to do now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them it's a horrible situation a horrible situation And so we have not only their idea, but God says this is what it's going to mean. This is what it's going to mean. And so what God is describing, what what Moses is describing for us in the book of Genesis here, is the development of pure and simple humanism. Now, we can bring it all the way to the 20th century and say, boy, humanism has been around a long time, right? Yeah, humanism has been around a long time, and it's still here, and it still is. uh, That's why I say be very skeptical of anything, anything that violates what God wants us to do. And uh, I'm I'm skeptical of anything. As soon as as you say say the one world, as soon as you say that word, those two words together, I perk up and I say, okay, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Because invariably, a one world will end up the very same way that the Tower of Babel began. And so God says, let's go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. And they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel. Because God confused the language and scattered them abroad over the face. And we've been babbling ever since. Now, so you have this prideful people who are raising up themselves against God. They're the first humanists I can see clearly organized. And uh, I want to give you a couple of quotes before we finish up here. I want to give you a couple of quotes from a chapter called Humanism. I don't need to make any explanations, but to tell you that these are all current. They're within our generation They're up to date. They're the philosophy of this day and age. And the first quote is from James Curry, a former president of the American Humanistic Humanist Association. And here's what he said. Humanism is a polite term for atheism. 
Humanism relieves mankind from the necessity either to believe in God or to look to Him as the fundamental source of all good. There it is, Tower of Babel. Here's a famous guy, John Dewey. You all know who John Dewey was? Huh? Well, he was one of the signers of the first humanist manifesto back in 1933, well known for being the father of modern education, I believe. There is no God. And here's what John Dewey said. There is no God and there is no soul. Hence, there are no needs for the props of traditional religion. With dogma and creed excluded, then immutable truth, if you exclude dogma and creed, immutable truth, which is unchangeable truth, is also dead. I didn't know that truth, truth can change. Uh, stone, I always thought when I went out there and I picked up a rock, I figured it was a rock and it was always going to be a rock. I guess it can be something else if it wants to be, huh? So immutable truth is also dead and buried. There is no room for fixed natural law or permanent moral absolutes. John Dewey. Charles F. Potter wrote in the Boston Herald back in 1982, education is thus a most powerful ally of humanism and every American public school is a school of humanism. That's news you can use. Right? Two more quick quotes, and then I'll, well, one more. I'll skip everything else. We deplore, this is from the Humanist Manifesto. This is from Humanist Manifesto 2, not 1, but 2, which is far more recent than the one back in the 30s. We deplore the division of humankind on nationalistic grounds. We have reached a turning point in human history where the best option is to transcend the limits of national sovereignty and move toward the building of a world community in which all sectors of the human family can participate. Thus, we look to the development of a system of world law and a world order based upon transnational federal government. How about that? Well, humanism is not a new idea. Satan brought it into the Garden of Eden when he says, ah, oh, you're relying too much on God. You accept too much what he says. He isn't giving you everything you need to know. Let me tell you what you need to know. Right? That's when it all got started back then. But don't forget, humanism, humanism calls for the worship of the creature rather than the creator. Humanism rejects God's word and denies God's truth. Humanism puts their gods before God, creating a false religion. And the humanist holds that man is autonomous, that man is the means and measure of all things. Let's please man. Let's please ourselves. Let's please our society rather than God. And I see all of that wrapped up in the Tower of Babel, and God says, no way. Can't let that happen. I can't let that happen. And so he separated us into nations by families and language. 
as he changed the language. Can you imagine? I imagine families could speak the same thing, but you go across the street and talk to your neighbor, and he's speaking a totally different language than you. You're saying, eh, there's going to be a natural division that occurs, a natural division that occurs. Listen, well, I need to wrap this up. I had a couple other great questions that I thought would be neat for us. When did this happen? Between the flood and Abraham, how many years did it take for the Tower of Babel to develop into what it did? We'll skip that for the time being. We don't need to worry about that. But I bring it to your attention because if you read chapters 10 and 11 of Genesis, you can figure it out mathematically to the very year. You can do it. Now, that's your homework assignment. Figure out how you can do it. But you can do it. You can do it. Should I give you the answer and then see if you get the right one? Nope, nope. Do it and then... uh, See me sometime and let me know if you figured it out. But listen, there's some lessons that we need to learn from this. Babylon, one is obvious, that Babylon now in Scripture becomes the, uh, the word to describe everything that is anti-God. Everything that is humanistic. When you get to the book of Revelation, God's judgment four times falls upon Babylon. Babylon represents the unbelieving world. But that's obvious. That's obvious. But the one thing that we need to keep in mind is all of this is to share with us the fact that God governs this world. God is the one who created nations. God is the one who determines their boundaries. God is the one who keeps us secure or causes us to prosper or takes us down. God is the one who does all of that. And you and I need to understand that and believe it. There's a there, sometime I want, to do a, I want to do a Bible study on all this stuff that's going in our, all this social, social immorality that we see and what's happening in our society. And I want to do a Bible study to show how a lot of these things never happened years ago in our early colonial years because we believed in the providence of God. If there's no God watching anything you do, you can do anything you want, right? But if there's a God who's watching and then He's also involved in our health and in our life and in our prosperity, then it matters what we do. But at the Tower of Babel, the only thing that mattered was what we want to do in making a name for ourselves. But the second application to this is pretty easy. Um, <clears throat> our plans, as you, you know, and it doesn't make any difference. What it, could be, it could be the Tower of Babel, it could be the natural man. It could be a person living in luxury. It could be the rich fool in Luke chapter 12 who said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. It could be the, uh, the adventuresome businessman in James chapter 4 that says, oh, we're going to go into this city and we're going to work there for a year or two and, and see what we can do. This, this presumption that we have that we are the masters of our own destiny I, I hate to hear politicians get up and, and after they say after they say what they do about their plans, they say the best is yet to come. America, we're going to get greater and greater and greater, and there's no end to our greatness. It just takes me back to the Tower of Babel. There is an end to your greatness. But let me conclude with this. 
Let me conclude with this. Those are two great applications that you and I need to keep in mind. Solomon just reminds me of what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 when he said, you know, I know that God created us upright, but boy, we have, we have gotten into ourselves into a lot of schemes ever since. But let me close where I opened up with the fact that this is news that you can use because I, I will admit, I, I'm not real keen on passages of Scripture that do nothing but give us name after name after name after name after name after name. But they're in here for a reason. And you can even go through chapter 10 and identify a lot of these nations just by the name. But it's news you can use, and let me explain why. And I, some of you, most of you are probably aware of this, you see. Many, many years ago, I went to, uh, I was at a, a denominational conference. And um, there's thousands of delegates at the conference, denominational conference. And uh, exciting, exciting place. They did this big, big arena uh, out in the Midwest. And I'm in the conference, and I, the first night I attend the opening service, so the opening, opening session, and they introduce a keynote speaker. Because in the evenings they're going to bring keynote speakers in, and they're going to encourage us and inspire us and strengthen us to do the task that we as a church need to do. And the keynote speaker got up, and he had us turn to Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 and following. And he started to read Genesis chapter 11. The whole earth had one language and one speech. And he closed his Bible and spent the next 40 minutes explaining why we need to get back to the whole earth having one language and one speech, and why we needed a one-world government. See why this is news you can use? You say, wait a minute. That's not the whole story. I'm telling you, that's what he did. That's what he did. That's what he did. The next week... The next night, they had a keynote speaker, and I'll just share this real quickly with you. And he decided to use a New Testament passage of Scripture. And he had us all turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And in Ephesians chapter 4, you know that God talks about the fact that the church is in unity. We're in unity. I, I, was, kind of like, uh, I was kind of feeling like Ahab. Ahab gets, I was kind of like feeling like Elijah and, and Ahab where the Bible says that uh, Ahab accused the prophet of God for being the one causing all the trouble in, in Israel. And, and he said, no, 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 I'm not the one causing all the trouble in Israel. You're the one causing all the trouble. I haven't changed at all. You're the one who's changed. I kind of felt that way. But the speaker got up, and the second night, and the keynote speaker, and he had us turn to Ephesians chapter 4, where it read that the church is to be one, um, and he spent the rest of the evening talking about the fact that we need to bring everybody into the world into a one-world church. He 
he wasn't telling the rest of the story, you see, because as you know, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, I want the church, the church needs to be united. It needs to be united until we all come to the faith. That will never happen. So we don't include false religions, and we don't include people around the world who don't believe the way we do. We don't. We don't. The church is the body of Christ, and it's made up of people who believe that Jesus is the one who died for our sins and rose again. And we don't bring in other religions and say that the Bible wants us to be plural in what we do. Well, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, there's a lot more we could say about this, but Lord, we pray in your precious name that you would, you would help us to see that your word gives to us a lot of light that applies to us here in this modern day in which we live. Human nature has never changed, but apart from you, we'll only be concerned about our own selfish desires and our own selfish goals, and they will be for fame and fortune, for prestige and for power. And they'll be so that we can form our own destiny. And we see that in what is happening in our nation today. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to not in any way be a part of that. But Lord, that you'd help us to be faithful in sharing the fact that you're in control of this universe. And that our plans and our schemes will all go by the wayside one day. And all be gone on Judgment Day. But your plan and your purpose will last forever. In Jesus, your name we pray, amen.